0: To the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Fake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space.
1: Hi, Paul. How has your week been? My week has been very interesting in Power BI. And I've learned I'm not a statistician. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Uh, what, what were you doing? Uh, 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 analytics on our product and trying to do some... I have these great ideas, I just don't know how to implement them, so I probably will end up <laughs> sending a note out to our buddy John White at the end of the day. <laughs> but uh, um, It's a powerful we tool, that's for all sure. We can't do that,
0: because otherwise John will start saying no to people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose. He'll be in Chicago we, um, soon and I'll just buy him some beer and pizza.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And just take your laptop there. There we go. I I do find that actually I was doing some Power BI work this week too. We we have one week this week, which essentially every Microsoft employee can either hack, fix, hack, learn. Um, And 20,000 people were hacking, uh, building like prototypes and ideas of things in Teams, which I did go and check them all out yesterday. And man, if some of these things make it into products like Teams, I mean, they're keynote-worthy demos. They're very, very wow. cool. And I didn't realize that a few of the demos from last Ignite were actually hackathon demos that made it into the product. So I think some of these will definitely make it in. So there were some cool teams. The segue on the hackathon thing, my learning is that there was a tent, which if anyone's been up to Redmond, Red West is kind of like over the freeway past the Commons, for anyone who's worked to Microsoft near the Pro Club, which is the biggest gym in the northern hemisphere, which occasionally I go to, like probably like once a month. Um I blame that on my daughter. And I'll stick to that. But um anyway I digress. The tent was enormous. And we I walked in yesterday at like one o'clock. I was like, I'll oh, we'll just do a quick round, and see what everyone's doing. And it took me four hours to get around all the tents. It was probably more booths than what you get at Ignite. Obviously wow. the booths weren't giant, but they were small like booths. And my biggest takeaway was is all these guys are so smart and that Microsoft is enormous that there's this many people that are like encouraged to basically cancel the calendar, cancel their real work and work on hacks. But the huge, huge takeaway other than the fact that Microsoft is enormous and it was just like overwhelming was engineers need program managers and marketing people because half the booths names were really odd and you had no (laughs) idea what they were. (laughs) And so a lot of emotions was like, yeah, fast, walk on to the next one. Um, and you could definitely tell teams where they'd kind of engaged a PM or they'd engage someone from marketing because just like the name, the little like pin board of like here's what the product does to try and entice you to come speak to them was just way better than <laughs> the ones where it was just like four engineer devs that probably built something really cool but have no idea how yeah. to like draw someone in to talk about it.
1: It's interesting. Anyway. Well, the, so not this week, but next week we're interviewing Mike, am- or at least I am Mike Ammerland, who's in marketing. So that'll be in mm. your podcast feed in the next month, sometime. So, uh, it'll be, we'll, we'll, we have to loop that around and ask him, uh, uh, what it's like to deal with, geeks like me who can't speak proper english
0: (laughs) (laughs) i just watched which i think is public his inspire talk on how he pitches m365 developer platform because that incorporates now like windows 10 and microsoft teams and microsoft graph and office add-ins and sharepoint um i'm probably forgetting something (laughs) and um Uh, adaptive cards, actual messages. And so there was a whole ton of stuff that he kind of covers in one hour to try and encourage partners to build on top of the dev platform, which I guess, you know, our podcast is M365 development. And so we'll put that in the show notes because it was actually a really interesting talk that he did and how he did the demos to try and glue the whole thing together. Yeah. um, Was really clever.
1: Yeah, so yeah, so Mike's uh, talk will be good. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great. And then um, the uh, last week's episode with Nicola has a related link this week too, right? So he mentioned stuff was coming, and I'm guessing some of that stuff is starting to leak out. Yeah,
0: yeah. So um, one of the people on our team, Elise Yang, who um, started around the same time as me in the team, uh, she's been doing a ton of internal-facing work, and we wanted to get her doing something external. And so. Um, Elise actually helping out nicola from a pm side on Microsoft craft toolkit and one of the first things we realized was we really need to start planning on when v1's going to release and like so that Elise can start doing a lot of the external facing blogs and so forth and nicola was like instantly he'd been on traveling for a bit but went in and put together a plan and um, explained what the new components are that are going to preview and some of the ones that we'll get improvements and what providers will ship and so forth with all the links to the individual work items as well so he their teams their small team is working out completely in the open and i think to me the most exciting thing is the fact that we'll have people pickers and person cards um in in the toolkit which is awesome um so yeah if you're not have you haven't tried the cool toolkit go try it um but um also if you're just intrigued on what components are there that that release plan is really cool just to see that how quickly are you going to start tracking on this stuff?
1: Yeah, that's again. If you're in SharePoint, things are somewhat easy with its built-in controls. But if you're not in SharePoint, this is the way to go. So, looking forward to seeing that. Yeah,
0: and if you didn't listen to the episode, go back and subscribe to the podcast. Yes, and listen to the toolkit.
1: <laughs> yes, and and cool stuff is on the way. That absolutely. So. Um, The next thing i switching gears a little bit here. So I I found an interesting post from April Dunham. And April is a a recently minted MVP, I believe. I mean, not this July cycle, but uh, I don't remember seeing her name before. But she posted what I found a fascinating article that if you have a power app, you can launch a native application on the mobile device. And so her example is launching Uber or launching a YouTube channel from a power or Twitter client, which is makes things feel more more comfortable to people on mobile devices instead of just launching a web page. So uh, again, it's maybe a niche market, but interesting to see that it's possible to do all kinds of great things from from the power apps platform, which which has some potential.
0: And so, yeah, she does some clever things like launching ways with directions if there's an address in the corporate directory. And yeah, um, yeah, there's a ton of really cool stuff she does in here. She lo- she's been blogging for a long time on all this stuff, and um, it's great to see that she got rewarded with the MVP. I didn't realize she had, so that's awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that likewise is, is great. Um, and and, so, and go ahead.
0: <laughs> well, and there was another post that came out this week, last week. Yesterday. The twenty-fifth of yeah. July is the twenty-fifth of July is yesterday. Yeah. Yes. I know that you won't listen to it and realize that, but <laughs> we're recording on the twenty-sixth. Um and Charles Lamana. 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 Charles Lamana must be, sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He posted on the Power Apps blog about new licensing options for Power Apps and Flow stand lane paid plans. So if you're interested in licensing then you probably need to go look at this because it has some very important changes that will be done in October.
1: Yes, And, and there's been a lot of community chatter in the wake of Inspire. And so this is the official Microsoft response to clarify some of these options and so we also have a link to uh, uh, external blog post written by Rob Windsor and we'll get back to Rob again in a little bit here but uh, again this is just uh, I, don't ask me any questions about licensing uh, I can spell it but that's about it so uh, well, at least wanted to get I would just be
0: referring people uh, yes. to that blog post yes indeed yes
1: <laughs> all right
0: on to less boring things uh, S- Steve um, I always get his name wrong too It's a eight. Eskins, Eskins, I don't know, I'm just ruining that name completely. Um, but he's built a mind map of resources in Azure um, using mindmapmaker.org, which is a free tool. I used to use I think, Mindjet Manager, which wasn't free and actually quite expensive, which was I don't use now. <laughs> but this tool looks pretty cool considering it's free. Um, and he has broken down his view of how you look at all the different things that you can use within Azure um, based on kind of like systems of engagement with a user and systems of record and systems of insight and containerization and governance and compliance stuff and identity things um, with all these different names. Then you can obviously go back in and, and look at Azure to see, you know, how they all fit. I know from my time in Azure marketing that this wasn't easy and it got harder as more and more, products were introduced in Azure and this is not a bad taxonomy of how to think about these things so i, I really like this and i think Paul you found this didn't you?
1: yes yes the well there's a couple of things that i found interesting number number one the just the the vast scope of azure services Right. So if you go into the all resources link in the, in the portal, you get this wall of icons. So it was nice about that. And like you, I found a tool interesting to visualize it. Now, obviously, the the taxonomy he created is somewhat subjective, but that's OK. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Right. But again, it's it's another way to view. Uh, what's there, and it's another application of using a, a information architecture, if you will. So the you know SharePoint folks in the in the in the room uh, will totally get that. But uh, it's great, and it's always nice to highlight stuff that people. It, I, I say this often, right? Sometimes you need to come at a, a problem from multiple directions to understand it. So this is a yet yeah, another way to do that. Yeah. So right, and and, and wait, it, wait, he's got we, we put a link into one of his uh, mind maps, but he's got three or four and some others planned, including one coming, he says uh, soon about. Um, the application developer is that was called it uh, application architect so uh th- that'll be yeah yeah, cool. yeah and so uh, even if you know share with your it pro friends or your security friends that there's he's got uh, an ia around those as well so yeah it's interesting
0: because we're doing a bunch of research um this week as part of my fhl while i am on personas with the graph and the different types of people that learn APIs and the different approaches developers go and obviously some just jump straight into API reference some jump straight into samples and tear them apart and others want to learn from the top down and read all the conceptual documentation first and then watch all the videos and you know follow the tutorials and then they'll download a sample and so it's just interesting to see how different people think or approach different products and technology so that was super useful.
1: Yeah so I find the overview then I find the sample code and then I don't understand what code is doing then I go back and I Read the the concept. So just just between the two of us, right? It's uh, a yeah, it yeah, makes sense. It's completely so, different. Yeah. Um, building on to the the learning thing, so we put a, I put a, lo- a blog post in here from Christian Nawamba, and Christian is a developer with uh, Progress, which used to be Telerik, and uh, yeah. and um he discusses the performance tab in the Chrome developer tools, which I've always seen but never understood. <laughs> I mean, I don't do a lot of web yeah. work. But again, this is, I bookmarked this and thought, oh, people might want this because you know, I, I do remember at times Trying to figure out why pages load slow or whether it was a network or a code or whatever. So this is a in-depth, lots of pictures, lots of detail about what's on that tab and what you can do. And obviously, you can't provide solutions to your problems, some of that you'll have to understand yourself. But it's great. It's a great introduction to lots of stuff that you can do in the chrome dev tools which we can also call the edge dev tools right so it's the same thing and uh, yeah. and as you're writing well, I think more and more javascript Edge maps. has
0: their, edge has their own one that's one of the things they decided to build on top of i believe uh,
1: well i haven't noticed a different other than the default is dark mode which i don't like so <laughs>
0: dark mode is for millennials paul uh, uh,
1: yes that reminds me i forgot to put a link in here too there's a, a breaking news visual studio code extension for c sharp will now honor editor config which means we can make the whole world use tabs yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm not getting into that <laughs> I'll get into yeah, it's it that's always fun anyway yeah so um, and then a, that's pretty cool and then another one was um Steve Bisser who got renewed i noticed on twitter recently is an mvp as well um to so congrats on that uh, he has put, worked with a bunch of folks, of some I recognize from the SharePoint world, like Albert yon Schott and Rick Van Rasse. I don't he, recognize Thomas Collins. Yeah, yeah,
1: he's but, a, is a, is a SharePoint dude as well,
0: yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I think they were either are or were colleagues of Waldeck, uh, Mastercars, if who we've had on the show a bunch of times. And um, he's put together, or they've put together, sorry, a postman collection which seems to be the trend de jour um, across the <laughs> Look at you those different APIs. Well, I don't I wouldn't claim that at all. <laughs> well, um, they caught you out I, in I, it,
1: so that's all good. <laughs> yeah, oh they do. You yeah.
0: noticed that? Yeah. Um but uh no there's plenty of people that've done this before me. Uh they've plugged one into the Q&A maker service uh, and so I need to go in and dig to see how they did auth with this cuz I still don't think the way that I'm doing it is the slickest with some of the new things they have with the authentication
1: type of Postman. Well, q a um, auth is a token or it's just a, a key that you put in the header uh, so you don't have to no, do the token exchange, true. but so it's you just, can a, just do it's an API key.
0: Yeah. yeah, Yeah. so it's just an environment variable you can have in Postman. Yeah, uh, That's true. Yeah. yeah, and it's easy to recycle um, them,
1: this right? You really cool. in and hit the button. So.
0: Yeah, so this is really cool. So if you're doing anything with Q&A Maker, um, I would definitely encourage you to go check this out because I feel like this is a super easy way of setting these things up. Um, as opposed to, you know, sometimes that UI is a little bit extra work, I guess you'd say. And as a developer, the more things you can do via API calls, the better. So that's a really cool one. I like that.
1: Yes. And, you know, so we've used Q&A Maker at N365 and and it's quite simple to get started. Obviously you can do the SDK and make, do a call and you get an answer, right? But not why, right? Mm-hmm. Inevitably people come back, can say well why did it answer with this instead of that and so you want to dig behind the scenes or perhaps provide the, the feedback to tune the the q a service so yeah it's uh awesome awesome stuff to get in there so thanks and and they also on that blog post he links off to a uh, youtube channel so after you're listening to our podcast if you have more free time you may want to see it <laughs> tune into to their youtube channel so just don't
0: listen to a youtube channel if you are driving or if you're Juan and you're cycling to work, because well, we know Juan listens to us when he cycles to work.
1: But you can listen. You just can't watch, right? Although I'm not it's sure. True, it's- but it's just
0: too hard. It's like squirrel it's like you just <laughs> kind of want to. <laughs> yeah. All
1: right. So uh, back uh, this week, uh, about a week or so ago, I had a chance to sit down with Rob Windsor. And uh, I asked Rob to introduce himself. And he was totally uh Blew me off on that. But Rob is a a longtime SharePoint MVP and developer based in Toronto, Canada. And and Rob and I have uh, had a margarita or two back in the day, but uh, he was gracious (laughs) enough to sit down and we chatted about using Azure Functions being called from either spfx or flow and, and 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 power apps so it's kind of we didn't focus much on on the power platform at all really it was more how developers can use azure functions and connect back into sharepoint or whatever backend services you need so it was it was uh, uh nice to catch up with rob
0: yeah and i definitely didn't want to why i did want to be on it because i really like talking to rob but at the same point um, I'm working a little bit with the Azure Functions team at the moment to try and work out the story for Graph moving forward, because we haven't had much success with the bindings with Azure Functions with Microsoft Graph, and so I wanted you guys to chat without me kind of going in there and in, <laughs> not interrogating him, but you know trying to find out how we can make it better. So thank you for doing that show solo.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, no worries. <laughs> So uh, it was it, great. This yes, and um, like as we mentioned before, coming up we have some. Uh, we've got in the bank. We have some great guests coming up. And uh, if you have any thing you'd like to hear, we'd love to get feedback on folks. Uh, I guess we should start doing ignite planning, right? The who might be around that we could talk to, and if you want to hear something or technology, you hear about, we're open to feedback, and we'll try to track down an expert to get some questions answered.
0: Yeah, and also one big ask of everyone that's listening. Please subscribe to the podcast in either, you know, Pocket Cast, or iTunes, or Google Play, or Stitcher, or wherever else you have your regular occurring podcasts. And also, could I just get what you to tell one person about the show? We we look at our stats. It doesn't necessarily motivate whether we're going to continue doing the show or not, because I, I enjoy doing it with Paul, regardless. Yeah. I'm sure Paul, you enjoy doing yeah, it with absolutely, me. Absolutely, yes. But um, we do want to try and broaden the audience uh, to make sure people get the value out of the content in it. So please, your task once you've finished this show is to go tell one person, at least in person, about this podcast. Preferably someone that's a developer and not just some <laughs> random on the street. I
1: don't want anyone being knocked out. I, I have a very, very large family, so I have, I have dozens of people who say, oh, that's nice and then ignore me. So I don't need any of those. We need actual developers who will listen. <laughs> Yeah. Well, everyone, have a good
0: week. And uh, you have a good weekend, Paul. Yeah, and uh, we'll speak to you next week. Right.
1: Yeah. So, today I'm just here with Rob Windsor. Welcome to the podcast, Rob.
2: Uh, thanks for having me. Can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself? I am uh, the, the standard line I use is I'm uh, an organic machine that converts caffeine into code. Uh, I'm a developer, been a developer basically all my career, um, started in SharePoint development in like the 2006 kind of timeframe. Yeah. Um. I mean, if you want to go all the way back, I can take up the entire time. I mean, I started doing development in the early 90s doing like Clipper and DBase and that kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't know if anybody yeah. really cares about any of that, right? Uh, uh, yeah, those may not
1: be part of the <laughs> Microsoft 365 suite. Yeah, so.
2: Yeah, so um, <laughs> Nor is Cobol and
1: RPG where,
2: where I started, yeah. so
1: it makes sense, yeah. So I, was, so, I was doing uh,
2: .NET development, you know, um, so I mean, since .NET started. And doing a lot of um, client and ASP.NET development in like the 2004, 2005 timeframe, maybe five and six. Uh, And all of a sudden, like SharePoint, it wasn't SharePoint projects, but it was projects that involved SharePoint in some way. Um, So I started to learn a little bit more about SharePoint. And I looked at the dev model in the 2003, like with SharePoint 2003, and I said, no way, I don't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole. But once 2007 was coming out and, and there was a better integration model with ASP.NET, that, that's when I really started looking at it. And, uh, of, of course, once you get any kind of experience doing SharePoint development, um, it's, you know, you, you kind of get, well, for a while I got pigeonholed. So that's really all I <laughs> yeah. that's really all I got allowed to do. Um I've had a couple of uh, uh major projects that weren't SharePoint since then but you know the vast majority of the work I've done has been SharePoint development on all the different development models.
1: Okay, and so uh the, today I want to focus more on some of the recent stuff that that recent models if you will. Uh right? So you and I have you know known each other for quite a while and we've been at many uh, uh conferences together and um So I I know you've been working with SharePoint Online and SPFx and TypeScript stuff, but one comment you made that really piqued my interest was that uh, Azure Functions with SharePoint. And so uh, can you give it? let's start at the beginning there, right? So what was the use case or why
2: did you start using Azure Functions to call into SharePoint? So there's been two things, two projects um, that I was involved in where I thought Azure Functions was the was the right solution. So one was, uh, and this, this actually, this one never got to production, but it was it was sort of like proof of concept for a client. Um, they were building a power app that needed to generate a bunch of tasks in, in SharePoint task lists. And... Um, you know, I thought, well, trying to do all that in a Power App, that that logic might be a little bit tricky. So I thought, how can we do that outside of the Power App? And Azure Functions was kind of the first thing I looked at. So um, the proof of concept we built an, an Azure Function that took some input from the Power App, generated the tasks, um, and then we enabled the use of that Azure Function through a custom connector um, with with the Power App. And um, the second scenario, which did go to production, was uh, a client wanted to have a common header in both modern and classic in SharePoint online um, so they wanted so in in modern it was easy it was just the application customizer extension with SharePoint framework um, with classic, we used a custom action but What that required was that every single site collection that existed or was going to be created in the future had to have a couple of uh, configurations done on it to ensure that that custom action was there and it was configured properly. Um, And... um, I, I continue to look, I, I, as far as I know, there's no webhook for site collection creation, so the the way we solved that was to build an Azure function that ran on a timer that would iterate through the site collections and see if the configuration that was necessary was done, and if it wasn't, then it would go ahead and, and do it. Um, so those are the those are the two cases that I've I've used so far. I've also explored and done some you know um, um, looking into you know calling Azure functions from SharePoint Framework web parts, um, calling Azure functions from like client script back in the you know the the um, the script injection kind of technique and that kind of stuff too. Uh, but but those are all just more academic.
1: Okay, and so. I- I know that Azure Functions has gone through uh, various versions uh, or platform versions, I guess you could I would call it. So, uh, what what platform or which version of
2: the function runtime were you building on? So that was one of the bumps that I that. Uh, that I incurred when I was first starting to learn this stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, cause like you said, it went through, it evolved, but it evolved pretty quickly. So you look at some of the documentation and it's like, okay, well, just go to the Azure portal and create a new function app. And then in the portal, there's an editor you can use, um, with both C sharp or JavaScript. Um, and actually it supports TypeScript and other languages as well. But at the time I was looking at it, those were all preview. Um, but the, in the portal, you don't get any IntelliSense and it, you know, it, the, the development process is kind of clunky. Um, So then I discovered, oh, you can actually create Azure Functions using Visual Studio 2017 uh, or 2019. Um, so So I moved on to there. But during that time, I didn't quite realize that there was two versions of the runtime um, so there's version one, which it runs on the .NET framework, and then there's version two, which runs on .NET Core. If, assuming you're doing .NET code, um, so I would I would build stuff, but it wouldn't work correctly because I didn't understand that oh I'm trying to use .NET framework assemblies with the .NET Core runtime, and that's just not going to work. Um, so yeah, um, so if depending on whether or not you want to use the cl- like all all my experiences with C sharp. Right, you can do JavaScript, but I and Node, but I I haven't done that. Um, so if you want to use the client object model assemblies, then you need to run on the version one, which is full framework. Um, if you only want to access, say, the graph or something like that, then you can do version two because the the M assemblies and the and the graph SDK both have uh, .NET Core versions or .NET Core compatible.
1: Yeah, .NET Standard, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And and so. The the first thing that pops into my mind, and this is no surprise to you, is that, well, now how do I authenticate from an Azure function to SharePoint Online, right? So uh, wh- what what did you run into in that, and, and what approach did you solve that problem?
2: Um, so the blog post that I used originally to sort of get started with that is by Bob German. It's actually a three-part series. Um, now, he talks about how to build this stuff using the um, the, the the portal rather than Visual Studio. But I mean, at at a 10,000 foot view, it's all kind of the same, right? So um, basically what you need to do, um, the way that he, he described it, and this is one of the ways you can do it, is to go in and register an app that um, requests the sites read all or sites read write all permission from SharePoint Online uh, rather than for the Microsoft Graph. And this is an application permission, not a delegated permission. Um, And then you can use the client object model to then go um, and make a request, the only thing you have to do is in, when you create the context in the client object model, you have to set an event handler that indicates that you're going to attach a, an access token with with to the authentication header with every request. Um, and getting the access token is the same as it would be you know, anywhere else. Um, I'm using MSAL version, the 4.1 uh, version, um, the same in 3.0.8, uh, where you use the confidential client builder to go and get, you know, to to get the access token.
1: Right. And so I think the, the key takeaway there is that I don't have to, I don't have to use the old token helper stuff that we saw back in SharePoint, right? And I don't have to do app reg new,
2: right? I can still use the Azure AD type approach, right? Is that how that's working? Yeah, so... Actually, in the one example where I had to do the configuration across all site collections, um, as far as I'm aware, there isn't a graph permission that, that enables you to do that. So in that case, I actually had to do app reg new to get the, uh, the, app, the client ID and the client secret, and then go in and set the permission to be like tenant scope permission, tenant. Um, so in that case, I had, to, I had to use that technique. But in every other example that I've done, whether it's been, you know, the, the proof of concept I described or any kind of academic stuff, I can just use the standard, uh, you know, the Azure portal and get, get graph or SharePoint online permissions to be able to do that.
1: Okay and then so now you talked a bit before about you know CSOM and .net framework right or or, or not so are, are there other weird types of things you need to be aware
2: of when you're when you're using azure functions calling into sharepoint Yeah so the the things that really caught me were one making sure that um when i when I create the Azure function app within Azure that I, the first thing you do is you go in and you set to use the the V1 framework rather than the V2, assuming you're going to be using CSOM, um, you know, so th- I've been caught on that a couple times. So that, w- that was one thing. Another thing is when you go to request the permissions, the actual scopes, um, if you're doing SharePoint online permissions, the format of the the scope is your tenant URL. So contoso.sharepoint.com slash and then the permission request. So like um, uh, sites.readwrite or sites.readall, right? So just just how to how to to format that the, the scopes that got me. Um, and another thing that wasn't. Clear to me, or at least I, I wasn't happy with the way I saw the documentation was. How do I actually deploy this thing? Now you can use Web Deploy, which is very simple, assuming that you know you have rights. In whatever the target tenant is, to be able to do that. But in the cases that I was working with, I needed to hand off a package to a, a, an administrator um, in the tenant that that we were going to deploy to, and I, I couldn't just use the MS Deploy to do that. Um, so how to actually go about doing that was a little bit tricky. And there's a few different ways you can do it. Um, you can use the Azure CLI or uh, PowerShell. Uh, so go
1: ahead. I, I want to yeah I want to interrupt you for real quick there. So you're saying tenant, but I. Th- I think you're meaning the Azure tenant or Azure subscription, right? Yeah. As opposed yeah, sorry. to SharePoint tenant, right? Yes. Okay.
2: No, that's okay. Just want to make sure I understand. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the way I, found, I eventually found was that in when you're creating your Azure function in Visual Studio, you can right-click and say publish. And instead of using the MS Deploy or Web Deploy, you can just say, just publish to a folder on my local drive. Um, so you do that. And then... Um, You can zip up those files. Then when you go to the function app in... um in your Azure portal, you can go to the, plat- there's a platform feature section and you can go to the Kudu tools, sort of the advanced tools where you get to go in and see the behind the scenes of, of the function app itself. And then there's a tool you can use where you can just drag and drop the zip file onto um, sort of this this designer or this the uh, configurator. And um, it will then go and do the deployment that way. But, uh, you know, I, f- I found that if you have a you know if you know the administrator, you know that they have um, a lot of background, then doing Azure CLI or PowerShell isn't a problem, but I want it to be as simple as possible, and dragging and dropping a zip file onto a page is about as simple as possible uh, as you can get so that's that's the technique I ended up using, but it took me a while to find that
1: yeah and I can see there being a, another benefit there, right So if I'm giving someone a SharePoint framework package or an old school SharePoint, you know, app package, they have to go to the app catalog and drag and drop there as well, usually. Right. So I'm guessing some similarity, right? Yes.
2: Yeah. Again, simplicity is the, you know, is, is the key there because, you know, most of the clients that I'm working with are small to medium size. So, you know, a lot of times the person who's the administrator is not that's not their only role right so th- that's not their main background they could be a developer or they could even be you know be a business uh, analyst something like that so as, as trying to make things as you know dummy proof quote unquote as possible is is quite often my goal yeah. And so that, you know, that
1: kind of, and, and I know I'm springing this question on you, so I apologize in advance, but th- I, I would think that's a somewhat frequent experience where you maybe you will go into a customer and and they're not super, they're not I, necessarily all IT folks. And so using PowerShell or a CLI or even saying the letter CLI is kind of confusing. Yes. Is that,
2: is that somewhat frequent in your experience too? Um, It really depends. So there's, there's clients where that's not the case at all. Um, and there's clients where that absolutely is the case, right? Um, and again, anytime, so, so not only do you have to say, okay, we'll go ahead and use the Azure CLI, but they might go, well, I, do I have this installed? And you have to go through the process. Okay, well, here's the process you use to get it. And so, um, like I said, if I can avoid doing, you know, if I have to do that, I'll do it and I'll put together a document that explains it. But if I can avoid doing it, then I'll, I'll try to do that.
1: Yeah. And then um, again, this may be a bit premature depending on the life cycle of your project, but it, we're obviously introducing a second environment, right? I have. One of the one of the benefits of doing, let's say, an SPFX solution is it's just SharePoint and they drag and drop in SharePoint and it's SharePoint, SharePoint, SharePoint. But now we've introduced the in this model, there's this Azure subscription and and Function App involved, right? And do do you find people struggling with that, or is it really just drag it and it works and and it's not not necessarily an issue?
2: So I think as time has gone on, more. More and more of what people do in the Office 365 world involves Azure in some way, so I think that people are becoming more and more familiar with Azure, um, you know, as a, a, the, the Azure tooling and the platform and, and and the portal and how to how to interact with it. Uh, you know, and, in the earlier days, uh, in you know, way back in the day, <laughs> whatever that was, <laughs> when SharePoint Online was you know a relatively new thing, um, you know. Even asking someone, "Do you have an Azure subscription?" was quite often just met with you know blank stares. But today, uh, that's not the case. I don't. I don't. Or it's much less the case. Um, you know, most people today I found have some experience working uh, with some parts of Azure. So, um, getting them to create a function app, do the the little bit of configuration that needs to get done, and then do the deployment step, the drag and drop step, um, is is not usually a too big of an ask.
1: Okay. And now uh, the, I know that you did uh, an interview with uh, the cloud show guys about flow, but I, I, and, and we can link to that in the show, but to me, that's a natural or Azure functions or calling SharePoint from an Azure function is a natural companion to something like flow or power apps. Right. And so do you find that being a, a, a great, alternative for developers obviously a, a power user is not going to d- do that but do you find it helpful to to have this as another uh,
2: tool in your toolbox yeah absolutely so when when you when you hit a point where You know, trying to create a an expression, whether it's in Power Apps or Flow, that you know is going to be super complicated or is going to require, you know, I have more experience in Flow than I do in Power Apps. But let's say in Flow, you know, I'm going to have to create 20 actions that that does whatever this thing that I need to do is, Um, and I could easily do that in an Azure function. Then that's absolutely something I look at. The one thing that you do need to be aware of is the the Action that you use to call the Azure function since February has been is premium, so there is a licensing cost implication to making that decision, right? So as long as you're aware of that and you you, you do a sort of cost benefit analysis, um, then then you know I would absolutely look at, at you know look, using Azure functions to enhance both Power Apps and Flow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I certainly don't want to wade into the licensing discussion. Uh, no, no one's going to want to listen to 17 hours of licensing talk. So <laughs> we certainly, but, but yeah, obviously, like you say, a cost, benefit analysis and being aware of these options is certainly worthwhile. And, and even, even if, you know, you're in an enterprise, maybe it doesn't have to be an Azure function. It could be a web API that you host instead of fun, whatever. There's lots of different choices there. So that's, that's great. Exposure yeah, there's to definitely there, lots right? of different options yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And and then now so uh, do you have a broader I guess the next question I have is really around the the SharePoint things that you're that you're calling, right? So do you end up doing a lot of what I want to call CSME legacy type SharePoint thing? I mean, why why would you go to functions to call SharePoint? Is it cuz the, there's something that's not yet in graph or something that's not yet modern or is it really just what what's good for the developer is good for the good for the business?
2: Well, I think there's lots of different reasons why you might want to do this, right? Um, so, for one, you know, we're we're if we're doing SharePoint Framework or another thing that I do still quite a, quite a bit of is script injection kind of work um, in the in classic, right? We're writing client side code which. Whoever uses whoever uses it can see it, right? Um, so if you have some kind of um, you know custom business logic or inter, inter intellectual property that you want to protect, um, using a web service and Azure Functions is, is an easy way to build a web service. Um, is a way to protect that, right? So um, that that's one example. Uh, again, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, in JavaScript, with lots of code that you can do in C sharp with you know less code or, or more maintainable code. So that's that's another reason. Um, a, a third one, the whole declarative permission thing with the SharePoint framework and the Microsoft Graph, um, it can be. I I think it can be problematic, right? because anytime you you create a web part or an extension that declares, I want to use these permission, or I want, I require these permissions, right? Um, as soon as those permissions are granted, they're granted tenant wide. So any other web part or extension can, can use those permissions. And um, it, for simple things that that's fine, but let's say, for example, I'm going to have like read email from all accounts. Well, I don't want to grant that tenant wide. So what I can instead do is create an Azure function that has uh, an app that has that permission and then call that Azure function from, um, from my SharePoint framework web part or from my extension. And that way I can say, well, in this, you know, who's calling me? What um, do I want to allow you to make that call or not? And I'm not just sort of granting it a tenant wide where anybody can use it without me really knowing um, that they, they're doing so. Yeah, I, I totally on bored with that. I would much rather the
1: developer architect be making these authorization decisions than just somebody clicking, yeah, it's okay in
2: SharePoint, right? Yeah, and again, I, I really yeah, think yeah, it, what, yeah. it depends on what scopes you're requesting, right? So for, for a lot true. of them, yeah. you know, if I just want to do groups read, okay, well... I, I don't yeah. see any issue yeah. with that, right?
1: <laughs> Everybody can read every group
2: already yeah, anyway, exactly. right? The, so, yeah, so, it's, yeah, so that but, one I'm yeah. fine with. It, it is, it, it, you have to look at it in a case-by-case basis. Should I do this right. here or should I not do that there? Yeah, yes, that, that's great. Um,
1: this is all fan- fantastic information, Rob. Thank you. And that, now, so uh, as we mentioned at the top here, I've seen you at numerous conferences. Do you have uh, other stuff uh, on the docket where
2: people might be able to uh, come see you and talk to you? Uh, SharePoint Saturday New York is coming up. Uh, in a couple weeks I'll be there um I'm doing the uh live 360 conference in Orlando at the um towards the end of the year uh geez I didn't prepare I should have looked up my that's, my calendar that, that. All, all the things that I've got coming up
1: <laughs> uh yeah so um and for folks listening that live 360 show is fantastic one of my favorite I, I won't be there this year but that's uh it's, a, it's a, a great show. Rob and I spent many hours
2: at that place, especially at the... Margaritaville's uh, revenue is going uh, <laughs> to drop drastically from year to year just because of yeah, that. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
2: Um, and how about on, on social media, folks? How do folks get a hold of you on social media? So Twitter, it's Rob Windsor, all one word. Um I just, Goog, just Google me, I guess really is the easiest yeah, way go, I yeah. got, uh, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook, but I, those, those are more, well, LinkedIn is more business connections. Really the, my main communication mechanism is Twitter. I have a blog also. Um, I'll have to look up my URL to my blog. Just give me a <laughs> moment here.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just bingle oh, yeah, it and find can, it. yeah, you can put it in the show notes. Good.
2: Um, Uh, blogs.msmvps.com slash Windsor so we can put a link to that in the show notes I I, I don't blog as much as I would like to Um, uh, and and, and quite often I'll also do YouTube videos so I have um, a YouTube channel as well I can give you the link to that we can put it in the show notes that would be
1: fantastic stuff and I really appreciate you taking a little time out of your day and uh, I look forward to chatting again next time we're in person
2: yeah glad to do it
1: thanks very much
0: Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.